Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Big Show, the most important and critically acclaimed podcast that is recorded in our vehicle. And today we are in the Hemi studio. That's right. We are in an eight-cylinder powerhouse studio with all that hemispheric goodness, all 16 spark plugs sparking away. And welcome to the show. We've got a special episode for you today, special in the fact that uh, we have no idea where where it's going to go. It's uh, Sometimes we just sit around and, as old married couples do, just talk about whatever. We've been reading and thinking. And we will... I've been reading, he's been thinking. She's been reading Dan Carlin, (laughs) which makes you think. I'm a huge Dan Carlin fan. If you don't know who he is, he does the the, the best... History podcast that has ever been done, hardcore history. There's not even it's, this is not even up for debate. And he is a he's a talent. He's not a historian, but he's a person who is interested in history. And he's a lot better historian than ninety five percent of the historians. And certainly a lot better at communicating. But anyway, getting back to Dan, the uh, the book she's reading is the end is always near, and it's about Tiadwaki and his various forms throughout history. And the end of the world as they knew it. Relatively frequent and widespread events, as it turns out. Because, let's face it, most of the major civilizations that have ever existed on this planet, and an even higher proportion of the little ones, are gone now. Something now, happened to them. I want to I clarify what I mean by we don't know where this conversation We really don't. We have, we're just talking through some of the stuff that, that she's learned in the book, and some of the stuff that we've, we've seen elsewhere. And we're talking through other things that we know. And we're trying to, you know, kind of compare that to where we're at. And it's just interesting to see, you know, the where how the world ended for those people in the past. And how does that uh, give us indications of the type of things that we should look out for. So, without further ado. One of the big takeaways I got from the book is that there are a large number of different ways that can cause complete societal disruption. And despite our hubris on the point, we are still susceptible to a large selection of those. And then some that are certainly possible for us that would not have applied to them. For example... uh, Global thermonuclear war. Exactly, global thermonuclear war. Or something a little less... um, explosive perhaps um, because it involves a lot less nuclear blasting but uh, electromechanical pulses or uh, natural uh, electronics disruptions from sun flares and stuff like that yeah a big solar storm 300 years ago nobody would care they actually had a very big one early in the electronic age the carrington event yeah the carrington event so serious that it fried what um telegraph equipment there was it caused spontaneous transmissions along the wires it started explosions and fires of telegraph equipment because the wires picked up so much electrical activity from the magnetic currents that were washing over the planet from the solar storm there were places where they knew something was wrong so they knew to unhook the batteries because the batteries are expensive and at that time they were really expensive so that if, there, if anything was going wrong they would unhook the batteries and they were still able to communicate with each other over the teletype with no batteries attached because the the Carrington solar flare was actually powering the system. 
The magnetic fields produced were so strong they were inducing current along the wires enough to send perfectly comprehensible signals. Yeah, so if you if you, if that sort of thing interests you, we actually have an article on 3BY about it, but you can look it up uh, uh, online in many different places. It's fascinating, fascinating it, event. And it happened very, very, very early into the age of uh, mankind's electrical usage. Widespread telegraph, yeah. So, so if the if same event happened right now, we would be stuffed, and there would be nothing we could do to stop it, frankly. Whereas if it happened, like, say, for example, when the uh, Romans... 200 years before that? Yeah. They nope. noticed some really neat uh, aurora borealis, and that's about the size of it. It would be portent. Uh, people might be getting uh, shocks from uh, static electrical shocks from things more often, but that's hardly a life-threatening event. So, yeah, it's it's a different kind of thing. Also... The pandemic thing, as we talk about this, it's 2020, and we're in the middle of a pandemic that has once been very disturbing economically and not nearly as horrible as such things can be medically. Right. Now, it's bad. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I've had several personal friends who have died from the thing. Having said that, having several personal friends who have died from the thing isn't like losing half the population to the thing. And that's not an exaggeration that's happened many times, more than half of the population. There have certainly been lots of civilizations where a pandemic came through and killed 90%. So Right. And there is no real reason to believe we could necessarily stop all of those things now. Uh, sure, given time, medical treatments get better and fatality rates go down and all that. Right. But and you're not always given time. And frankly, I have been, I found it eye-opening in the fact that uh, what a large percentage of the population in a more deadly pandemic would just die because they refuse to get past their normalcy bias. Yeah, that's... That's just plain and simple. They'd rather die than, than put a mask on. Informational. Now, I understand this particular pandemic is not as dangerous as you get it, you die. It's not the pneumonic plague. It's not uh, some of these other... It's not the smallpox. In its original form. Now, it's we're, not we're, we're many one. generations of smallpox survivors in us right now. But it's not a smallpox on a, a virgin field type dangerous. Which it's caused 99 or 100% fatalities in some isolated communities when they got it. Right. For the first but time. But it's not that dangerous. But it, it, this shows how, why a lot of people will die in yeah. a pandemic. How many people would you get infected with something that was a lot more fatal before they actually would start admitting that it was worth paying attention to now i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, puff our chests a little bit here because we've said all along when we since the day we started this uh project that our personal belief is the number one threat that we have and it's not even close in our world is pandemic now from for for me that might be a personal bias kind of thing because i'm in the field where i i teach pathophysiology i pay a lot of attention to pandemics and epidemiology and, and things like that. So it might be a case of what you know is what you know the risks of. But if you look back through history, that's one of the really, really top ones. Okay, yeah. And some of the other stuff that you go back through history that they died from, we're probably not going to die from because we're so spread out. For example, a large percentage of the people who belonged to a whole subculture of of uh, society died when Vesuvius erupted and Pompeii wiped them out. It wiped out a whole subculture of that society. Because they were all there. Because they were all there. They were all in that one place. Now, we're not all in that one place. Like, for example, if 
if a uh, if a super volcano erupts in Yellowstone, for example, yeah, it's going to play heck for North America, and yes, it will damage the the ecology of the entire world. But there certainly would not be a Teotihuacan globally from Yellowstone going up. Maybe the food loss of food production might do it, but that would be a couple of years down the road. And uh, we're very resourceful people. Yeah, people are. So resourceful. you don't know. Uh, it's when people start getting really pinched, they tend to start wars with their neighbors to distract their populace from their internal woes. So and that's frankly, always a recurring. Uh, get theme. rid of a lot of their neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Hey, look at all that other land we could have to grow stuff on. Isn't that be cool? We need it. Yeah. So the risks are still there. So much for that wall with Mexico. Uh, <laughs> so the question is, how much time and effort do you spend today investing in preparing for things that are absolutely going to happen to some humans at some time and be very bad for some humans at some time, but have a relatively low probability of happening to you in your lifetime? That's one of the key questions preppers really have to address, because you cannot effectively prepare for all of these things and still leave, live a decent life. It's questionable. Yeah, I'll say it. You cannot be prepared for some of these events. My thesis is this. When I'm doing preps, I realize there's some things there's no point in prepping for. There's no point in prepping for an asteroid hitting the Earth, because there's nothing that can be done. That can extra can of soup is not going to help if an asteroid that's a uh, extinction level event hits the Earth. It's just not. So there's no point in even considering that massive sun flare that fries the half of the planet that happens to be facing the sun. You're either on it or you're not, and that's you know there's no point in trying to prep for that on the planet. On the planet, that is. Yeah. So not not really any point, but. There's a lot of things where you can prep for not just one problem, but this single prep helps you in 15 or 20 different situations. And those are a good thing to concentrate on because there's always going to be something. There's always going to be a tornado. There's always going to be an earthquake. There's always going to be that freakish ice storm. There's always going to be uh, the electrical grid goes down for three weeks. There's always going to be, you know, something is going to happen in your lifetime. There's always going to be war and shortages from war. There's going to be famine. There's going to be plague. In every lifetime, there's something. I mean, the Mongols could come. Have you heard the Mongol music lately? They may come. The Who, H-U. Yeah, the Who, Strongly H-U. recommended. Although they're more, to be fair, they're being more de- defensive. In yeah. Their... I wouldn't mess with them. But oh, no. Their, their, their groove is, yeah. don't mess with us. Sons of Genghis. <laughs> and they yeah, really actually are sons of Genghis. Uh, so anyway, long story short, you know, there's perhaps a good way to look at it as we've driven into an area from of no snow into snow covering the ground. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it did that up here. I hadn't known either. The roads are still dry, so. Hmm. Anyway, I'm thinking maybe the way to look at it is what can we do that, that helps out in all prepping situations that are reasonable to prep for? Yeah, because some of these are that something which requires or at least makes these preps helpful is likely to happen in our lifetimes. Any particular one of them is a low probability event, but low probability events sum up and sum up and sum up, and you got enough different opportunities for something to happen. Eventually, it becomes fairly likely that something's going to happen 
in your future. So that changes the equation as long as you are choosing preps that have a wide utility. Another thing to consider is, you know, everybody's always watching the news to see what's going to happen next, to see if they can figure out what the next big thing is going to be. Is it going to be economic collapse? Is it going to be, you know, just name it. I mean, the thing is, I don't see anybody considering, and I I think this is a valid consideration, has the event that will topple our society already happened? And we're just living in the death throes of the situation. This is something Dan Carlin brings up in many of his things. And it's an interesting thing to think about, certainly, because... If you were in one of the Roman cities, uh, maybe uh, around a thousand common era, during what we call the fall of the Roman Empire, what would you have noticed if you were somewhere out near the periphery of the Roman Empire when it started contracting? And you're living out there. How much does your life change? Does it look like the fall of the Roman Empire? Or does it just like you're having a string of bad years? Does it look like things are unsettled and may change, but you'll probably be able to scrape through for the end of your foreseeable future without dramatic disruption? That is kind of where we're coming from with the has the event already happened. Now, there was in recent history, I mean, we're going to go back in the last uh, 120 years, when I say, or 100 years, when I say recent history. That's recent. There was one cataclysmic event that has happened. It's probably one that 95% or more of the population wouldn't recognize for what it is. There was a sea change event. There was a millennial event that happened from 1914 to 1918. And that was the First World War. And it, I don't think people understand. They want to uh, watch the news today to understand what's going on. But I don't think, as, as a person who's interested in history and a person who's interested in, in what the world's, what's going on in the world today, I don't think you can actually make any understanding of the news today without fully understanding the First World War and the peace, quote-unquote, peace made right after the First World War that transitioned the world completely from an older way to a newer way. And we are still living in the ripples through time of that war. And it's a big deal. To clarify just a little bit, before the First World War, it the dominant story on the scene was a relatively small number of extremely large and powerful colonial empires. Monarchies? Conflicting with each other. Traditional monarchies in many cases, or constitutional monarchies. Uh, Some internal conflict in them, obviously, but mostly they were playing semi-eternal chess games with each other. How many times have the French and the English gone to war here or there over the preceding Several hundred years. Right, and you might say that the, the French started the, started this change with the French Revolution. Uh, actually, you might say that this change truly started with the American Revolution, which was excuse me, shortly followed by the French Revolution. But the turmoil, that, that was a causing event to the First World War, not the First World War itself. So what happened during the First World War is important to understand, because all of the great powers of the world 
The United States was not a great power of the world before this war. This was part of the change. All of the great powers... We were powers, isolationist. I'm sorry? We were isolationists. Yeah. All of the great powers of the world bled themselves out. They basically committed mass murder of every of one of these great empires. They just killed Blood and treasure. themselves. Blood and treasure. And then they couldn't hold their empires. They broke themselves. The, the parts of their empire that didn't want to be a part of the empire could then break free afterward. And all the empires fragmented into a bunch of individual states. And there were all kinds of ideas on who should be in charge of any particular place and how they should do it. So here's what that, that all gave us. That war gave us the redistribution of the empires without the power to hold them in Africa. It gave us the mess we have in the Middle East, and it gave us the divisions, random uh, white guy Europeans, and I'm not being racist here, I'm just saying white guy Europeans, drawing lines on a map irregardless of tribal and social uh, previous claims to the area, and handing them out to their friends in who helped out during World War One, And this was in an area that all of this that was becoming much more important because of oil. And they gave the, these to their friends because they knew oil was going to be more important so they could deal and keep the flow of oil as it became a bigger deal in within the empire. So got to keep that in mind. That's where the Saudi family came from. That's where the Iraqis came from. That's where the Iranians came from. That's where the, the Jordanians came from. All of these countries were just divided up Rather randomly in some cases. Uh, in a lot of cases, the British Empire, bless them, had all these different people fighting for them, and they promised them the same stuff. Not surprisingly, when the war was over, and these guys showed up and said, okay, deliver. And they go, oh, well, we really can't because we have promised this to, the same stuff to three different people. That's so, actually helped, though. Yeah. So, I mean, and this set up all these conflicts, right? World War I gave us communism. Really did. It would not have, communism would not have happened had it not been for the disruption of the First World War. Communism is a major dominating political system. There, yes, there have right. always been right. pockets of communism, and they've been, for the most part, harmless and limited to those who chose to partake in them, and that hasn't, but know, that's not drama. The Bolsheviks, with the Bolsheviks, along came a spider. Yeah. And they just happened to be the best at, maneuvering into a power vacuum. And that gave us Lenin. That gave us Stalin. That gave us Mao. You know, that gave us... Uh, yeah. A whole lot of messes since then. And communism is so... Well, at least in the way it used to be portrayed, is so radically different of a system that it caused strife for a 100 years. It's still causing strife. All based back to this, the death of the empires. So... Anyway, everything that we got going on in the world today, China, World War I, Russia, World War I, Israel, World War I, Jordan, World War I, Egypt, World War I. I could keep going on. The United States, World War I, because we were the bankers. The money that the British and the French and all of the winning allies got to fight the war came from America, which is what made London lose the, the, the title of the financial capital of the world, and, and it became New York because of World War I. We basically became the true 
1900s empire builder in more ways than one because they bought our stuff with the money we loaned them. So we won on both sides of it. Yeah, but to but a it, point. It didn't leave uh, peace and harmony in its wake. So from a prepping point of view, yes, you di- watching the news to see what's going on in the Middle East this week is not going to give you a very good sense for what kind of preps you're going to need or where the situation's going to go. These are long games that are playing out, and they're long games that no one political party or politician making decisions is likely to single-handedly turn very far. And it's something that people, as, as a group, have done a pretty terrible job of predicting exactly where things were going to go from there. So why keep going with what hasn't worked and keep watching the news to try and figure out how you should prep? Instead, if you go back to core principles, start thinking about what sorts of things you might need in in different circumstances and focusing on those instead of what looks most pressing today, you're probably going to end up in a better place. I think one thing to keep in mind on, on on the news thing is just keep in mind that they get paid. The people who do the news get paid to do whatever it takes to induce you to watch. They're not looking out for you. They're paid by the click. They're, They're paid by the subscription. Them. That's why you have to look out for you. We have to look out for us because the news people, they don't care. They're going to sell you story. the drama of the day you're just because the drama of the day sells well. Absolutely. You're, you're some kook out there in flyover land. They don't care. They don't care at all. You got to look after you. And I think the people who survived during the fall of the Roman Empire were probably the people who were best at looking after themselves. You know, I, I, there are very few situations that I can think of where self-reliance and the ability to, to stay internal in your own little area, your own little group, turned out to be a bad thing. Now, I'm sure there are some. I mean, self-reliance in Pompeii, you know. Sometimes it doesn't some, help, but some, that yeah. doesn't make it a bad thing. No. I mean, I can't think of when it's ever been a bad thing. And good relations within your local community, which we have much less of now because we our reach is so much greater. It reduces the focus on local contacts. Right. And then also, frankly, the uh, the news. Yeah. They're, they they, they will sell tell by you tearing the most us apart. Dramatic thing that's happening anywhere in the world, and they make their money. They make their money by on tearing specialty us apart. Groups. That's how they do. They have the, yeah. It's not like they're getting paid to separate us per se, but they're playing to the prejudices of particular subgroups to gain popularity and following within those particular subgroups. And humans being wired as they are, having multiple outlets doing that with different subgroups tends to divide because you get your echo chambers set up and you get your people who aren't seeing the same basic story of events that other people are seeing. And they end up being completely baffled as to how anybody could possibly believe differently than they believe. Because look at all this uh, information and evidence that supports their beliefs. Well, the other guys aren't even seeing that. They're seeing a completely different point of view. Some of it's just point of view, and some of it's focus, and some of it's flat-out lies. But they're never going to understand each other, and they are likely to come to conflict because they don't have a basic common understanding of what's going on to even start with. And that'll happen to you if you're not careful to avoid it, because the commercial interests 
just happen to have it run that way, and they don't care. Their commercial interests, they're doing what commercial interests do. And their power block interests doing what power block interests do. They're not looking out for the big picture. They're not looking out for you. Even if they're your group, they're not looking out for you. They're looking out for themselves as your darling leaders. We have traveled to a snowy wonderland. Yeah. Wow. I mean, there's several inches here. Just in the amount of time that we were talking and we're just driving north. We went from three snowflakes to about three inches. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. It was unexpected. So we're about done with this podcast one way or another. That's where lots of snow. But I think we actually did come to a point among the wander in that it's difficult to predict what it's going to be, but it's going to be something. So you think about what your own needs are likely to be. And try and prevent yourself from being led around by others who really don't have your personal best interest at heart. Even if they are supporting other things that we, that you agree with, that doesn't mean they have your long-term best interest at heart. So you take care of you and yours and recognize that other people may have good reasons for not agreeing with you. Go from there. And I guess my, my, my other takeaway is when you... When you're when you're external, when you're listening to what other people are saying, watching the news, whatever, I think it's important to realize that uh, not only are is everybody agenda based because everybody is agenda based. We've all got an agenda. Even we have an agenda. We, we just, do things for reasons. Everybody do, does. Absolutely. But we at least tell people up front what our agenda is. And if you want to know what that is, go to our website. It's all over the website. Um, remember that. One, they have an agenda. Two, they may not know what the heck they're talking about. They're just repeating whatever it is they think you want to hear. And three, they may not have a true understanding of the entire situation. Uh, Natural point of focus is short term. Exactly. So they may not even think or, think or care about long term things. It's very common. It's part of human nature. So grain of salt and concentrate on what matters locally to you. Circle of influence. You're going to be living in that local community when things get rough. And if it's a widespread event, the rest of the world is not going to care and not going to come to help because they'll have their own fish to fry. Yeah. And you know, if you're in a situation where you don't feel comfortable with you know how it's going, things would go down for you in a uh, Tiatwaki stuff hits the fan type situation. Well, you know, maybe now is the time to start thinking about what you're going to do about it. Maybe you might not want to wait too long on that sort of thing. Maybe maybe it's time to make some plans. Just saying. Um, it's up to At you. some unpredictable point in time, it moves from being a theoretical exercise to now's the time. This world will end. It may be a long time from now. It may be tomorrow. We don't know. Your world will end. My world will end. It's just a matter of do we have to let our world end in a way that we could have prevented? Something does it have to end us? Yes, does it have to end us? Something to think about. Okay, we're done with our thing. So uh, everybody uh, have a great day and we'll uh, catch you later. Bye-bye.